So we are the body, right, unified with a calling to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And we might each have individual callings that are different than that, but if you've been coming here, if you keep coming back, you know that this is a unified body that is called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And that might mean that we have to give an unpopular message or two. <laughs> um, first slide. Yeah, he gave me an easy one. Am I an idolater? I, who wants to say yes to that? Don't raise your hands before you start throwing stones. I will share my piece on this. So there's a massive deception that's sweeping through the body of Christ right now. I believe that a lot of believers don't see it. Unfortunately, it's become so worldly and popular, it's trending, and it's trended its way into the body of Christ. And so like my father said, there's a lot of people with great intentions that just don't even know about the dangers behind some of the things that are plaguing the body of Christ and the world as a whole right now. So idolatry and idol worship. We know that this is one of the greatest and oldest sins. Why? Because in the Old Testament, it is the first commandment, right? <laughs> that thou shalt have no other God before me. And the New Testament, the first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So mind, right? That means that it doesn't have to be a thing. Like the ancient Israelites, when we think about ancient idolatry, it's a golden calf, right? And probably no one in here has a golden calf in their house that they're worshiping. But there is a modern form of idolatry that unfortunately so many of us, you know, have fallen into in one form or another. So I'm not going to ask any of you guys to raise your hands. <laughs> Next slide. But if someone were to ask you, are you an idolater? You know, you'd probably respond like one of two ways. You're going to shrink down and try to run away, and that might be a Holy Spirit conviction. You might want to sit in that for a second and review. Or you might get defensive, right? You might say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I follow the word. And listen, I was both of those things at one time, so no one wants to admit that they might have an idol in their life. The reality is nobody signs up to become an idolater, right? But if we are to overcome idolatry right now in the body of Christ, we need to be able to do three things. We need to be able to identify it. I was not able to identify my idolatry. In fact, I refused to identify it. So that was me refusing to do the second thing. Admit to it, you know? We have to have humility to admit that there could be an idol operating in our life. And then we need to be able to reject it in all of its forms because the devil is not that creative. He's not as creative as the creator, but he is sneaky and he will manifest these idols in different ways it takes a lot, I'm telling you, to reject it in all of its forms, especially in my case. So what is an idol? Um, I really love this definition because it shows that it can be anything. And this comes from a book written by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. Um, I actually wish I had seen it sooner in my life, just wasn't interested. It says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs, absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. How many times do we see people say, this and this healed me. This and I'm doing this because it gives me peace, you know? Um, but the this isn't God. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. <laughs> I mean, I can relate. Um, it can be anything that you assign a value to and you, that will make you feel significant and secure. So there's a lot of ways to describe the kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. And that's something that actually Anton Levi said about Halloween. He said, and he was the head of the Satanic Temple, um, that at least Christians let their children 
worship Satan one night a year. Not honor, not listen or, you know, obey the word worship. And that should like strike us at the heart, right? At the heart and the core of the Father is our worship into him. So when that becomes desecrated, what, what kind of a vessel, you know? So we can see that we have a lot more to watch out for than worshiping a golden calf. And I'm sure none of us, again, are doing that, but any old thing can become an idol if it pulls our hearts away from God and towards it instead. Next slide. Now, before you, again, start throwing stones, <laughs> allow me to be the first to admit that I have struggled with this sin. I've struggled with it for a really long time. I believe the Lord has delivered me from the throes of practicing idolatry because that's what I was, I was actively practicing it. Um, and I'll get into that more in a minute. But when I came back to Christ, you know, I was raised in the church and I fell away. And I honestly don't know how that happened. It was a slippery slope. You know, I didn't dive in head first, like I said, and be like, make me an idolater overnight. Nobody does that. And I wish that I had really, prior to coming back to Christ, had a real relationship with him. I didn't have that. We're not a religion. We're a relationship. Again, a lot of people in the body, I feel like, need that message. Because if they had the relationship with Jesus, then they wouldn't be looking for Jesus plus something more to get to that peace, right? So, you know, for me... I do believe and I know that I was saved by the blood of Christ and many of you now were here when I came back for my baptism, you know, and then the Holy Spirit sanctification process began because until my spirit was realigned with the Holy Spirit and my spirit was dead, um, I couldn't go through that sanctification process and it, it is a process, right? It doesn't happen. Some, some of us it's overnight, right? Some of us, it's a process. It's like a refining fire. They, they equate it to gold because it burns. And so for me, that's when God first started to show me some of these idols in my life. And then they, he began to break them. He did. But there's a part of that process that requires me to do something, and it's every single day. And that's to put away the old self. Like the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's an action. To be renewed in the spirit means we have to put away the old self. Can't hide the idol under the bed and say, you know, it's gone. It's rejecting it in all forms. So for me... The word deceitful desires really jumps out too because at first I believed I was deceived into idolatry in the beginning and then I ended up practicing it and now I was worshiping, but that was at the end of the journey. I, I can't claim naivety or deception by the end of my journey, but in the beginning it appeared as good. It appeared as light. So um, nobody, nobody picks up an idol and says, here, make me your slave, become my abusive master, take control of my mind, demand all my love, consume all my thoughts, and affect my emotions, absorb tons of my time, ruin my dreams, I'll take my, all my desires, but never satisfy me, never deliver as promised. That's what an idol does, right? That's what it does. Nobody says that. So idols are often things that do appear as good. And then they deceive us into elevating them from being just good things in our lives to supreme things in our lives. Ultimately coming into priority above God in our lives and separating us from him. So no longer are these just things, right? We're, we worship. We become 
worshipers of that idol. And the result is, and we know this many times from the Bible as it mentions idolatry, that we provoke God to jealousy. And that never ends well. In Deuteronomy 32, 16 through 17, it says that they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Well, that's an interesting one because there it's equating idolatry to demon worship. I mean, I certainly didn't see the things that I was practicing as demonic. Now I will warn you and I will show you shortly how very real that that is, okay? But for me and for so many other believers out there, and that's why I didn't want to do this, but here I am, you know, I want to save them for lack of knowledge. And the devil is good at masking his light. So that might seem a little strong because it's a strong deception. You know, we can have a little idol here. We might have a little secret bad habit over here, but there is an abundant wave of grace, right? And so there's a lot of Christians that are just like riding that wave of grace, and it's actually an abuse, I think, of grace. That's why Paul said, behave not like you're crucifying the Savior again and again. And so I'm responsible for that. I did. I turned my eyes away from the Lord and towards these lies. And the Lord doesn't promise that we won't suffer consequences for that, by the way. And I did, I did, I did. Um, but he does say that, that he will forgive us if we repent, right? So slide 10. Um, idols can also be habits. They can be habits that occupy our heart and our mind space and eventually find their way into our souls. Because those are gates, are they not? The world doesn't teach about spiritual gates. That's another thing with this season right now. We have to guard our ear and eye gates all the time because there is a war going on out there, you know, and we don't want to let it into here. So it can look like materialism where we feed our egos by just acquiring more stuff. I mean, how many shopaholics in the house don't raise your hand? But, you know, it happens. Um, we can have it come in the form of pride, like an obsession over careers and jobs. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be good at your job, right? But we've seen it become an obsession for some people. And then they become more focused on the fruits that they think they're responsible for yielding rather than the fruits of righteousness, right? Hosea 10, 12 tells us, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love, and it will break up your unplowed ground. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So when we're operating in a sense of we're responsible for, you know, the fruits of our own labor, yes, that's true, right? But aren't the fruits of righteousness something that should come above and beyond all of that? So one thing that we should be clear on is there's no righteousness in idols. There's not. There's a whole lot of self-righteousness, though, to be found in them. And in fact, that is the one thing that every single different form of idolatry shares in common. They are all focused around the self at the core and the center of it. And the worship of self started way back in the Garden of Eden, right? When Satan tempted Eve and told her, eat of this tree, which was the tree of knowledge, by the way, right? And you will be like, more like God. And since that day, our fallen flesh has been prone to fall for this same desire, deceitful, deceitful desire ever since. Idolatry at its core has three lusts that are found in 1 John 2.16. And I'm equipping you with this because these are the things that I didn't know. You know, I didn't 
read my Bible. I was just passively receiving the grace of the Lord and, you know, growing up at church. This is the stuff that nobody was able to tell me. They tried, but I didn't listen. So I'm hoping that somebody will listen that needs to hear it. In 1 John 2, 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. And it's not of God, but of Satan. You know, and when we, we never find fulfillment, by the way, in ourselves or in the world. It's the greatest lie, the same one Satan's been telling since the first time he lied to Adam and Eve, and we're still falling for it. And even more sadly, many churches are propagating it in the preaching of health, wealth, prosperity gospel. It's built on this idol of self-esteem. And we will never find happiness by focusing on ourselves. That's what I was practicing higher self, <laughs> worshiping of the self, self-centered. Everything's health and wellness for me. And our hearts and minds must be centered on God and on love. Others, and we have to love others as he loves us. And oh, how he does love us. So we're going to look at a little bit of a longer passage. It's relevant. It's going to bring me to the point where I can introduce you to the personal practice of idol worship that I not only participated in but was a leader in that community as a teacher and I got I taught it to others and then we're going to see how it's dangerously operating under a mask of deception that's running rampant through the whole world but especially the body of Christ so let's go to first Corinthians 10 14 through 22 therefore my beloved flee from idolatry I speak as to sensible people judge for yourselves what I say the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ the bread that we break is not a partition in the blood on the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or what an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Or are we stronger than he? So in verse 14 there, it says flee, not dabble, not deny and haggle. No, flee, run from your idols. And there's a lot in verses 16 through 19 with the cup of blessing, it's offerings, communion, it's a whole teaching on its own. But jumping to verse 20, it says that what pagans were offering to their idols, they're actually offering them up to demons. God doesn't want us to participate with demons. And in verse 21, we can't drink from the cup of the Lord and the demons. We cannot partake from both tables. This was honestly something that I thought I could do while actively practicing idolatry, which is different than finding yourself in a sin and suddenly realizing something may have become an idol and I need to reevaluate that, right? Some priorities need to change. No, I was like actively practicing it and Somehow I just thought that if I showed up to church every now and then, that in my heart I still love Jesus, all these other things, you know, I ended up worshiping that idolatry more. And I was arrogant enough to think that somehow I was strong enough to separate the yoking that I was doing with false gods and demons on my own. I was so wrong. So sometimes idolatry is subtle, right? Some starts out seemingly good, which mine did too, but it was not subtle, and my idolatry all began with what many people will argue is just stretching, just fitness. And now you probably know what I'm talking about. If you haven't guessed, it's yoga. 
When I said yoking with demons, you must have wondered, what could I have been doing, right? I mean, that sounds pretty intense, and it is, but most people will never admit this, and I'm going to, you know? What's even worse, I wasn't able to do those, th those three things that I mentioned before. I was unable to identify my idolatry. I was not willing to admit it, and I was certainly not going to start rejecting it. I clung to that idol, you know, and that's what idols usually do, that you end up clinging to them. You don't want to let them go. So the world tends to reaffirm this. Um, there's a lot of people out there, even Christians, like my father said, there are pastors letting it be taught in the church. So it was easier for me to reaffirm it in my own soul that I didn't need to accept that conviction. You know, I ignored it. I turned it off. And I certainly wasn't ready. I wasn't. I actually had a website with a sustainable fashion line called Miki Yogini, and that was me. I was identifying as a yogini. So you see, this was never about stretching and fitness like I thought at first. It, by the end, totally consumed my entire being. It possessed me, literally. And so did you know that the, name, the word yoga is Sanskrit, and it is Sanskrit for the word yoke. And Sanskrit's a liturgical language, so everything in Sanskrit is sacred unto a prayer. So when you see people walking around casually throwing out words like namaste, that means the capital D divine in me recognizes the capital D divine in you, and that's making you a little god and honoring their little god. We're not talking Holy Spirit or Jesus in them, by the way. And they say that all the time. How many times do you guys hear namaste, namaste in bed, namaste the day? Like they're jokes, right? They're not jokes. In fact, there's people on the other side of the earth that have been extremely offended by the westernized culture that's just bouncing around sacred words unto them as prayer and then using them to sell pants, yoga pants. You're wearing yoking pants, okay. Like people don't even think that that's what they're saying when they're saying it. So this was created, Sanskrit, and yoga, first mentioned in the Vedas. The Vedas are a collection of sacred texts to Vedic priests who lived as esoteric people in like the jungles of the Himalayas and beyond. And it comes from the two root words, yujir. So in a broader sense, it means to unite or commune for them with the universal supreme spirit. To them was Brahman. That's how this word came out. That's how this practice evolved. That is what it's yoked to at the essence of it. So these Vedic priests created it and they were using it as a practice to unite themselves to that false god Brahman or their capital D divine. And in the new age, we just say universal energy because you know we don't wanna scare people away. Okay, so that's how the West has watered this down. They didn't invent it to stretch, they didn't invent it to exercise or simply find peace. But again, Jesus gives us that peace, right? So anything that's promising to offer you something that you know you can get directly from Jesus, probably an idol. So that's how the West has consumed it. And simply knowing all of that was still not enough for me. And it really should have been. I tried to rationalize that what they were using yoga for back then has nothing to do with me. I can, I have, I'm stronger than he, like it said in our verse, I can separate that yoke. And I, and I lied to myself and to many people that I led into it. At the very core and essence of a whole yoga practice is that. So when I was younger, I used to read Matthew 11:29. 29. Maybe when I said yoke, some of you were like, Bible, you know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I really thought that, that it was talking about an egg. 
for like the longest time in my life. I thought that that was about an egg. And I just remember sitting in the back of a church that's over here. When I first came back, I was too ashamed to come back into this body because it's my dad's church. And oh my gosh, I'm just coming out and the Lord's showing me what I've been doing. And so I'm in another little church. And I remember looking it up and being like, that's not how you spell yoke. Why <laughs> okay? And I saw this vision. I looked it up, right? I went on like a little Google search, and that it's actually that wooden beam that's sometimes used to pair an oxen, right, and other animals, and it and it helps them pull together on a on a load in a working pairs. Now, you guys, I'm preaching to the choir. You know this, but I didn't know this as a baby Christian. I thought it was an egg. So now I'm thinking, okay, I know Sanskrit yoke. Now I know this yoke. Now I know it's Jesus's yoke you know, it went off. And I started to ask myself, like, what was I yoking to when I was doing that? You know, in Christianity, we say Christ alone. The world's going to say my higher self, you know, yoga is going to say straight up they're gods. And what's a yoke do, right? Well, it's a noun when it's a physical device, right? But it can also be a verb. And so now yoga is both a noun and a verb in our society, right? Because you're doing it. Um, You're submitting to it. You're a bond servant of it. Like those should be red flags for Christians. Can you do yoga um, or in other words, practice yoking and separate it from the spiritual yoke it was created to do? How do you unyoke a yoke? It's not a yoke then, right? So it doesn't even logically make sense. But suddenly, everything made more sense to me when I got out of the egg version of Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. And the Lord, I literally just felt him saying, stop trying to do this on your own take my yoke, which is a sort of a bondage, right? But my, mine is not heavy, <laughs> right? It's easy. And man, let me tell you, when you try to be responsible for yoking to, first of all, demons, like they're going to come and wreak havoc, destroy chaos. That's their goal. It might seem like peace and light in the beginning, but I promise it only ends one way. Um, that to me was such a blessing. Like how could I have not done that before like just I couldn't believe it and I'm not alone because I look around and I see so many good Christians that are still trying to do it with their own yoke or the yoke of the world or even worse so um, once I asked myself what am I yoking to then I was really willing I realized I had taken that first step I was prepared to identify it right and the Lord really quickly took the scales off my eyes Um, so There are, to be precise, 884 references to yoga in the Mahabharata. This is like one of Hinduism's most sacred epics. There are zero mentions of it in the Bible. I had to ask myself, like, to whom do I belong? You know, why am I trying to yoke to this thing that clearly is very much at the center of Hinduism, but I'm trying to fight the salvation? You know, it was a war, and I was stuck in the middle of it, of my own lack of knowledge. So I even went to Spain. I went to get my certificate there, and I remember our guru, and I thought that was so cool. I'm studying under a guru. Had no idea. Had no idea. Telling us the story behind Warrior 1, 2, and 3 pose. He had us read the Bhagavad Gita and parts of the Mahabharata, which are sacred, right, to these other people, and I remained unbothered. I remained unbothered. I could cry about it because, like, what was I doing? I wrote it off as part of the history of yoga. You know, there I was trying to separate that yoke again, and it's just not spiritually relevant to me personally. Not me. I'm a Christian. So I thought I was stronger than those demons. And again, still without the Lord, I thought I could break the yokes of my own will. The Word reaffirms this over and over, that the idea that we can manifest our own destinies, 
you know, the whole speak it into existence thing that we sometimes see dangerously crossing over into the body of Christ, where people are trying to manifest their blessings. And that is entirely new age and demonic. Another one is when believers say, I can get away with it because the Lord knows my heart. And I always reply, he knows your heart, but he sees your deeds. And when your body's showing up, literally mimicking a false god, or even worse, a demon, he sees that too. So check this out. There is no yoga teacher that was ever willing to admit this to me in class, but, you know, when you do warrior one, two, three, this is what the world sees. It's fundamental. This is a flow that's in every single yoga class, and it means a series of different asanas, which are the Sanskrit word for pose or posture. You are reenacting a demonic murder scene from the Bhagavad Gita. So the next few slides, that's Vidabhadra. That's Vidabhadra. That's the demon behind those poses. Uh, the sequence is called Virabhadrasana. So there's, there's the guy that it's about. I mean, if somebody showed you that instead of the pictures of the peaceful looking girl in cute clothes, you would be like, what? Right? Next slide, please. So this is, you know, the story out of the Bhagavad Gita. We don't have to tell it. I will summarize it. But bottom line, like my dad spoke of Shiva, the Lord of Destruction, that is their Lord of Destruction. He, uh, he had a daughter. She fell in love with another god. He didn't want her to marry that god, so he threw a party and didn't invite them. <laughs> the daughter was like just devastated. She's like, how can my dad do this to me? So she, she goes to the party anyways. He berates her. You know, he's slandering the new husband, whatever. She gets so mad, she commits suicide via pranayama, which is yogic breathing and meditation. <laughs> so when you're doing the yogic breathing and meditation, it was a form of suicide in the Bhagavad Gita. That's peaceful. That's how you're going to achieve peace. I mean, if people only knew behind it, right? So is that, is that what she achieved? I don't think so. Um, her father gets so mad at what he's done that he rips out part of his hair, throws it on the ground, and commands two demons to come up out of it and behead everybody at the party. So that's Virabhadra. And he does. He beheads everybody. And then there's like bloodshed and this and that. And, you know, Shiva feels sad that he's done this to everyone. So he reincarnates his daughter through some fire and then puts a goat head on one of the guys that he cut the head off of and it comes back to life. And that is the story of Virabhadra. Warrior pose. So see, that's warrior one. It's like when the demon popped down on the ground and he has his, his hands are swords, by the way. See, now he's preparing for action. The forward flying motion, that's the beheading of everybody. The peaceful one, they call that peaceful warrior. That's when Lord Shiva told the demon to get back inside him, possess him. Like, this is in every single yoga class. I knew this, I had to learn this to get certified, and I still thought I was stronger than he. I still thought that I could somehow separate that yoke, that that's maybe what they created these, and you can stretch and not do these. You can even do these poses maybe naturally in your life. I mean, I don't know how often you're gonna be flying forward, but. What I'm saying is, if you're operating under the yoke of yoga and you're mimicking, these are in a specific form. These are a sequence because they're telling the story of that demonic murder scene. So let me back up for a second. The word asana, it means posture. And we know that we have postures, spiritual postures. The posture of our heart is very important to the Lord, is it not? We worship in certain postures. We might not identify them like yoga, but it could look laid out flat on the floor. It could be on the floor on your knees, kneeling. Like postures are a way that we express worship. Why does the name that yoga uses also reflect that? It's worship. Those poses are worship. They're, you're worshiping that God. Surya Namaskar, a.k.a. sun salutation, is sun worship. 
It's in every single class. It starts, you're supposed to do it before sunrise, okay? But literally, it's honoring the sun god. And so, again, you can flow, you can move, you can stretch. We are supposed to have our being in him, in the spirit of him. But when these were created to specifically honor and do things like worship the sun or show you about this demon, like how, how, why? Why do we feel like we can't just move without yoga? People are addicted to it. It's become an idol that has consumed them. So yoga has postures, they're intentional. They yoke to specific forces, they yoke to many gods and demons, or they tell stories in sacred texts. So saluting the sun every morning, I mean, it's not something we need to do. We thank the God, we thank Lord. You know, thank you, Lord, for this sunny day, or like my mom likes to do. Lord, please bring the sun out. You know what I mean? But that's not worship of the sun. It's different. So uh, slide 25. Have you heard of Shavasana? Maybe, maybe not. It's at the end of every single class. It's where you lay down on your back with your palms facing up, and you're supposed to control your breath and lay totally still and empty your mind and being from any movement or distraction. Again, don't scratch your nose. if it's. I got yelled at once for scratching my nose. So you're playing dead. And then when you come out of it, you're slowly supposed to just wiggle your fingers and toes and gently roll onto your side. And at the end of every class, you're supposed to feel like you've just been reborn. Does that sound like anything to us? We are born again. Amen. We don't need to go through this class. Every class is a counterfeit salvation process when you realize that. You are not going to be reborn again by the end of this class. It's a counterfeit rebirth. It's literally a counterfeit to salvation. So the whole class now looks like a circus to me when I see it, right? And, and that's sad, but I see it through the lens of what the Father has delivered me out from, and I was in it. I was in it so deep. I was on my mat at least four or five times a day teaching classes. I don't want to tell you how many times I came to church that year. You know, so it's where I was showing up. And people will, they'll come out of those classes, they'll say, wow, I feel brand new. And they are not lying to you because they are literally yoking to those demons that make them feel that way for a while. That's how it traps you. It feels great. <laughs> so without it, you start to hurt, by the way. Like when the Lord put a stop on me, he actually put it on my head. I got a headache. It was like a three day long migraine. I never get those. Um, and I couldn't physically bend over without like <laughs> you know, getting crazy. That's what he had to do for me to listen. Um, but you do, in, in yoga, you open your spaces and your body up because you begin to contort in these positions that normal people don't do, right? And when you stop doing that, it actually physically hurts you. So in my yoga school, girls would sometimes burst into tears, just like randomly, during heart openers. And I I was not one of them, I will say that. But I was like, why are they crying? Like rolling around on the floor, like crying. And the guru was like, because they've opened their heart chakra. What's that? So now I study chakras. Like see, it started as stretching, then it was just yoga. Now I'm learning about these energy vortexes or in Sanskrit, it means a wheelhouse, right? I believe that these are spiritual gates because the whole process is that you are to open them, manipulate them. This is happening in the body of Christ, by the way. This is happening from pastor leadership, saying that you can tune your chakras in the Lord. It's a Sanskrit word. It means a vortex of energy. Manipulating energy of any kind is not my job. I believe that is the Lord alone. Whenever you begin to manipulate energy, you're dabbling in witchcraft. It's not my job. I didn't create it. I'm not destroying it. You know, the Lord, we find balance and harmony in him. 
So these specific poses, every single one of them, and by the way, chakras, who invented those? The same Vedic priests that invented yoga. So they were using them in the postures and poses to assign each every one. So like there are certain yoga poses for different chakras. Does that make sense? Every single yoga pose is yoked to at least one chakra. So there's another thing I didn't even know I should have been dividing, you know, cutting from. When, when you unblock them, you're supposed to be at total harmony and peace. And again, like I said, spiritual, spiritual gates. Uh, the world says that through these seven chakras, we move from a lower self or unconscious state to the higher self or conscious state. This is a recurring theme in new age, right? And in the world today, our higher self, our higher consciousness. And that's a false, like it's a falsity. Like we, we don't get to get there. That's God. That's God alone. You can't ascend to being a God or like a God. So um, again, totally accepted in the new age, but deeply rooted in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism, which all came out of the Vedic priests. And when you realize that this is, meet another demon, this is behind many of the chakras. This is called Vishnu, okay? And like the uh, Indian flag has one of his, his brands on it, which correlates to a chakra, by the way. And again, this is sacred unto worship. These people, we can't just justify dabbling in this stuff as fitness or health and wellness. Does that look like fitness or health and wellness? Like, no, that looks like somebody else's demonic God, right? And so, again, when we say, you know, some people say, I'm channeling my inner warrior for Christ when I do the poses that, that mock that God. No, you're mocking our God and you're honoring that thing. And trust me, nothing righteous comes out of that. So next one. Um, yeah, this is more on the chakras and basically just showing how it, it literally, it started, it started as like a yogic technique. Then it became a kundalini. Has anyone heard of the serpent spirit? That's at the core of divine feminism, by the way, which is plaguing the next generation, not so much mine, but people that are just a little bit younger than me think that they have the right to access their divine feminine powers. They're putting menstrual blood on their faces in the jungle. This is the thing. I actually have a friend, I used to, she was my roommate, she's doing that right now. They're doing witchcraft to the ultimate level and degree with feathers and stuff like that, but it comes from this kundalini spirit, which is also a manifestation of yoga. There's a kundalini yoga arm, okay? And the whole thing is that you move from that bottom chakra that you saw to the top. And what do they think they're gonna achieve? A godlike status for themselves. But it's a serpent that's the form of the energy that they're moving. And it's going through every spiritual gate or chakra to get there. Now you've become completely possessed. And by the way, Google it, don't take my word for it. People have died doing this. They've actually, it's called a kundalini awakening when that serpent actually hits your crown chakra, which isn't on your body, it's floating above your head in a purple aura. They die. So, like how, we, we perish for lack of knowledge. Um, it seems innocent. It seems like you would never end up in the jungle. You're never gonna end up as one of those people that's yoked, right, to these demons that are literally yoking you. I could go on and on. Um, next slide. This is by Carl Jung. He's one of the founders of the New Age. 
very popular, <laughs> unfortunately. And he says, to activate the unconscious means to awaken the divine, the Devi, the Kundalini. So again, that's where that unconsciousness thing, like it traps people because it doesn't even sound really spiritual. It sounds intellectual, right? Carl Jung tried to sound intellectual too. To begin the development of the superpersonal with the individual in order to kindle the light of the gods. Imagine having the arrogance to dabble with the fire. Like, I, you know, now that I see it from a biblical perspective, I thought I could play with the lights of gods when the consuming fire of the Lord literally wipes people out of the world. Like, I just, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, Kundalini, which is to be awakened in the sleeping Muladhara world. Muladhara is the Sanskrit name for the root chakra. It's where your balance and stability and well-being is centered to them, um, super personal and the non-ego. They always get you with the non-ego. It is the ego manifest, the unconsciousness. That is a straight up lie. How, how is trying to achieve an unconscious state that's equal to the gods non-egotistical? It's deceptive. So for this reason, Kundalini is the same principle as the Soter, which is the savior serpent of the Gnostics. Tree of knowledge, same old trick, same old trick. Next slide. These are some other counterfeit Christ traps. My dad didn't ask me to talk about these ones, but they are important because you're gonna see them. They're everywhere, they're popping up. I have friends that send me sage, I throw it away. This is not going to ward off demons in your home. In fact, here's what I believe. I think that they see people doing this and they go, look at that one, she's afraid. We can get in, there's something there that she thinks she needs protection from, what is it? How can we go and destroy it? It's like a warning sign to them. Like, hey, come over here. So no, that is not going to protect your home from evil spirits, sorry. And those crystals are not going to protect you, sorry. Now, crystals, okay, and incense, okay, there's a difference, right? You can operate with those things. I have jewelry. It's not giving me anything. It's not taking away anything. I give it no power in the name of Jesus. People that assign power to this stuff is where it becomes witchcraft. So just to be clear, um, Reiki, this was my next step. The Lord blocked this for me. It's because it took two and a half hours to get to that training. And at the time I was living on an army base and I just simply couldn't physically go to get certified. Amen. And then my life crashed and burned. But and, he, and I came back to him, but that, that was where I was going next. And this is, so this is witchcraft. This is happening in Christian, um, I went to a chiropractor and she was using tuning forks, but I didn't know what that was. And I was like, well, this is not working. So I got frustrated with her and I went to the masseuse that was working in the same Christian, she has Bible verses on the walls. And I didn't read the certificates before, but I'm laying there and I felt a presence on my face. And I opened my eyes and I said, what are you doing? And she's like, Reiki. I'm like, no, you're not. Put my clothes on and while I'm getting dressed, I'm reading the wall and here she's the certified Reiki healer. That is the universal white light that people are manipulating. They're, that's power, okay? It's not the power of Lord Jesus though. That's demonic power. And they're putting it on you and telling you that that's gonna heal you. That's witchcraft, laying of hands in the worst sense. So. Thank God he saved me from that because that was where I was going next. That's what I wanted to do, how I was gonna help people, right? Tarot, astrology, fortune tellers, numerology. I know probably no one here needs to hear this, but let me tell you what, I know Christians that go to, that go to fortune tellers, just occasionally, because they need that reaffirmation. Okay, but I mean, if you've read Kings, you already know, like, it's real. You know, like you can conjure up spirits, but those spirits are not speaking the truth to you. They're speaking the doctrine of demons and you're coming into contract with it because the, the Satan is a legalist. 
Now you've entered into a contract with whatever this demon has spoken over your life. No, you rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You don't ask for it, you don't pay for it, and you don't receive it. Um, the stars, they're not going to tell you the future. They are there for signs and wonders. Don't wake up and decide where you're going to go or what color you're going to wear based on your star sign. Um, numerology, same thing, doctrine of demons. Next, please. We're almost done. The Enneagram is important because this one, actually, my last job that I had in Akron, they made me take this before they decided to hire me, and then they used it to see how to manage me. And Christians are preaching, this is actually being used in a lot of churches. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's like a personality test, but it's based in the occult and to the extreme occult. So if you want to look up a guy named Oscar Acaso, he's not the original one, but he practiced a lot of esoteric spirituality, Zen, Sufism, Kabbalah. Then he met this guy who's the father of the Enneagram named George Gurdjieff. They spent several years in the East studying higher yogas, Buddhism, Confucianism. This is how this thing was created. And when you look at it, it looks like, you can go to the next slide. It looks a cult, does it not? And so you identify, you become, this is, this is supposed to be who you are, the three centers of your intelligence, once you go through their little process. Again, you're giving yourself over to a contract with a demonic force. The Lord, the Lord is our identity. Our identity is found as new creation beings in him. And not only that, we're supposed to be constantly transforming from a glory to a glory. Are we not? You cannot limit me to whatever this is. I do not give you power control to, I am not. I'm not going to be a, you know, loyal skeptic, number six, trooper. No, it's not me in the name of Jesus. So, if you see that people are falling for the Enneagram, send them my way because it's a longer, I don't want to take up your time, but this is being used in corporations for hiring people. It's being used by young adults trying to figure out who they are. And they're not doing this to dabble in the occult. They're doing this because they just, they want someone to tell them who they are instead of going through the refining process of a relationship with Jesus Christ where they'll be made new every single day. And it's sad because this is how Satan is deceiving the young minds of today. This is how he's deceiving the body of Christ today. He's, he's convinced us that we can dabble a little bit, you know, and then, but, but leave the majority on, on the side of him so that we win because we know the victory is his, right? But we just want to have a little bit more knowledge. That's Gnosticism. We just want to have a little bit more peace. That's idolatry when it's not coming from the root, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This one, all right, don't throw stones. I love essential oils, okay? But when you give it power, same thing as a crystal or an incense, when you give it a power, you know people sell essential oils that they call aura awakening oils. They put them on their chakras. They're supposed to do something. They use specific ones to get abundance or harmony. How sad is that? People are spending money on oil that they think is gonna bring them abundance. Like it's actually heartbreaking. You know, how could we have fallen this far? And this is happening, I'm talking in the body of Christ. So, oils to control your energy flow. Again, trying to manipulate energy, witchcraft. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm condemning anyone because I am the first person to tell you that I did all of those things. And I firmly believe that I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I can now hear the weeping of my Savior because he was like, I was there with you. I watched you do all this. I loved you. I pulled you out of it. And now go get my sheep. <laughs> go get the ones that are doing this, that don't know, that don't want to admit it. Get them to repent. Tell them to change their ways and bring my people back to me. So 
2 Corinthians 11:14. 14, I'll end with this is, no wonder, no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And this body, this is some of the false lights that are operating rampantly right now in the world and in the body of Christ. And if you have any loved ones, then with permission after service, maybe if anyone else is here even, I would love to meet you guys at the front for prayer and deliverance of that, whatever it looks like. All right, thank you.